It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. It's the Adam Ritz Show, and we're live on campus today at the University of Texas at Tyler with a live studio audience. That's great. Thank you so much. And uh, you said, let's go Pats. The Patriots, the fighting Patriots of uh, uh, UT Tyler. And uh, we are on campus today to honor an initiative with the student athletes, um, the Team Impact, I hear it's called. We have Kitty with us from the volleyball squad. Hi, Kitty. How are you? Good. How are you? Tell us real quick about the uh, volleyball team. Well, with the volleyball team, we are teamed up with Team Impact to help this little three-year-old. Her name is Becca, and she has a sister named Emily that is, I think, five. And she has leukemia, and we're basically just adopting her on our team. Okay, so she's um, a member of the team. She comes to the games. She sits on the bench. What, what happens um, not, if she, with her being adopted by your team? Not yet. Once we do, like, a little press release, she'll officially be on the team. But right now we've met her one time, but she's been really, really sick. So we haven't been able to actually get her here with the, for the press release. She has leukemia. Tell us a little bit more about her and her personality. Um, she, she was really, really shy. She wasn't really feeling well when we first met her. She had, was under undergoing chemo when... Um, we first met her, but she, whenever she started warming up to us, she was like really, really bright and really, really joyful. So, and uh, the volleyball players traditionally tall, and I'm guessing since she's three, yes, she's she's, three. she's traditionally short. <laughs> so, how does she when she sees somebody, you know, a six foot woman walk in the room? How does she look up at him? Well, she was really actually scared of us. Like we had to like <laughs> get on her level and like get eye contact with her. So, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It's uh, called Team Impact, and it's a, a program that the soccer team does as well. We'll talk to them in a minute. Um, but it's community service. It's getting involved with your, with your community and, and really taking advantage of being a student athlete and um, uh, your status in the community to, to help other people. And that's what we wanted to come to UT Tyler and honor uh, not only Kitty and the volleyball team, but all the student athletes here uh, at the University of Texas at Tyler. So let's give one more round of applause to all of you for all of your hard work. Thank you. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. As the show continues, we are on the campus of Penn State University, Altoona, one of the splinter campuses of State College. And um, this campus is uh, nestled in the foothills of, are these the Allegheny Allegheny Mountains? Yes, it is. Okay, so we're in the Allegheny Mountains uh, in Altoona, PSU Altoona, with our special guest, Fredina Ingold. Hi, Fredina. Hi, how are you? I'm uh, happy to be here and happy to have you on the show. You're the athletic director here at Penn State Altoona. Yes, I am. And we've learned about an initiative that you are a part of with your student-athletes working with the Special Olympics. That is so cool. Tell us about that. It is a great organization. It's a national initiative with Division Three 
student athletes. Uh, we're heavily involved in the community. Our student athletes are involved with the Special Olympics with bowling, volleyball, basketball. Our athletes go out into the community to their events and get involved as coaches, mentors, cheerleaders. And during Division Three week coming up, we have a basketball game against faculty and staff and the Special Olympians for basketball. And it is such an incredible feeling to have these athletes here and to see how much it means to them. And you can't help but feel good about what you're doing in the community and to see our athletes feel good about what they're doing. Where do the uh, Special Olympians come from? All over the state of Pennsylvania? No, just from our local area. Okay, and how do you recruit your own student-athletes to become part of this initiative? Do they just volunteer and sign up, or do you hand-pick them? No, we have um, our student-athlete advisory council, and the student-athletes just come forward. You know, we put out there the various events throughout the year, and they sign up for them. And once they start, they come for everyone. They just get such a close bond with mm -hmm. those athletes. And it's very important, too, that those kids see them on a regular basis because a relationship develops and they need that. And it's a great thing both ways. Now, is this uh, part of a larger Division III NCAA coast-to-coast -coast initiative? Yes, that, that You mentioned uh, it's like your Division III um, celebration coming up in the spring where you have you host a basketball game. Are other Division Three campuses doing this too? Um, I don't know what they're doing for that week, but they are doing other events programming with Special Olympics. That's fantastic. Well, it's, it's, in, great. it's inspirational uh, for us to hear about uh, student-athletes uh, from anywhere getting involved with anything because yeah. there's so much bad publicity and bad press and bad this and that on social media, even broadcast media, talking about what a kid just did if it's Saturday night at 3 a.m. Yeah. We love hearing the stories of student-athletes that are getting involved yeah. in a positive light. So Ferdina Ingold, the athletic director from PSU Altoona. Do you prefer Penn State Altoona or PS Altoona? What do you call it? Penn State Altoona. Penn State Altoona. And Fredina, what is your, before I let you go, what's your favorite part of this campus? Oh my heavens, I've been here a long time and I've watched it grow and develop. And I think it's just being involved. We're smaller, so you get more involved with the student athletes. And I think the best thing is when that one athlete comes in and says, thank you. It's such, sometimes you want to, you know, just beat your head against the wall <laughs> and you go, what am I doing here? But it's that one student that comes in and says, thank you. Or when they come back, like for our men's basketball game, we had a group of guys from four years ago come back and support one player. And oh my gosh. What a great feeling. I had tears in my eyes. That's great. They were just, you know, you don't get that at a bigger school. Mm -hmm. And for us here, you know, these guys, they just cared so much about this one player and about us. And, you know, I have to be careful because, you know, they'll come up and give you a hug and I'm just. You can't help but do that. And I think that's just the best, knowing how well they've done in their lives and the feel good about what you're doing for them. Yeah, I know what you mean about uh, beating your head against the wall. Why am I doing this? And just to have that one person say thank you make, makes it all worthwhile. So on behalf of everybody that hasn't said thank you to you yet, I say to you, thank you for being on the show. And thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you here.
Hey, this is Paul Lancaster, Director of Player Engagement for the Buffalo Bills, and you're listening to The Adam Rich Show. Adam Ritz, privileged now to be with Michael Young. Michael Young is one of the biggest voices in the world of racing. Hi, Michael. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great, and you are uh, gearing up for the Indy 500. Uh, Exactly what do you do for the uh, Indy 500 radio network? Well, I am the actual uh, pit reporter. This is my second year working for the IMS radio network. I had started and did a couple of races for them in years past, but last year was my first full year on the radio network. Uh, this will be my second Indianapolis 500, and my role with the radio network is I'm a pit reporter, uh, not only for the Indianapolis 500, but the Eyes on IndyCar series runs in Texas, Milwaukee, Sonoma, California, Baltimore, St. Petersburg. It is, is not all not only all over the United States, but we also race in China and Brazil. But my role is a pit reporter, so what happens, and if people aren't familiar with Eyes on IndyCar Series racing, it's open-wheel racing, and when the cars come in, obviously after so many laps, they need to take on fuel, they need to take on new tires, so I am there to call basically play-by-play action on when a car comes in, stops, and completes a stop, which is roughly, roughly about eight or nine seconds, but in, in racing terms, that's like a lifetime trying to actually get everything and all the information you can get in in about eight or nine seconds. But it's really a lot of fun, and you just brought up the Indianapolis 500. What a thrill my very first one was last year to do, to know that this broadcast is going out worldwide. And so as you're calling a stop or something happens that, that you need to put a visualization on for, for listeners because it is a it's a – it's a very non-visual medium. You have to create a picture for somebody because all they're doing is hearing what you're saying. So you try to paint a portrait for them so they can visualize what you are seeing. And then for it to go around the world and for have people in Japan and China and Russia and Germany and, and even here in the United States, Canada and South America, hearing your voice, it's really kind of, it's humbling to really think about that, that you're a part of something and, for those that remember Sid Collins, who used to do the race broadcast, I mean, this this radio network has been around for 50, 60 years. So all of the history that goes along to it, it's really just a handful of people that never worked at it. And to think that you've become part of something that historic is, is really quite amazing. And the racing radio network, uh, I'm not familiar with this, um, the... I guess the Armed Forces Radio Network is this part? Isn't this like a? Isn't the all this racing just a huge deal for all of our men and women fighting uh, for our country and our, for our freedom across the seas, worldwide? They listen to the Armed Forces Radio Network. Isn't auto racing a big part of that? Oh, it is, and and that's the thing where our broadcasts go up on Sirius and XM satellite radio. Uh, actually, had an opportunity recently to work with J.R. Hildebrand Panther Racing and the National Guard, which sponsored J.R. Hildebrand, and we did a live uplink with some troops uh, that actually were were stationed in Afghanistan. So we did a live video uplink with uh, some of the major generals here in, in the United States, and a couple of senators were there. So we did this uplink with some of the soldiers' families, some of the families who had lost family members um, mm-hmm. while they they were fighting over in Afghanistan. So these soldiers had an opportunity to talk to us and to talk to J.R. Hildebrand, who represents them driving the National Guard car. But that's what they'll do on Memorial Day, on, on the Sunday, the day before Memorial Day, they will listen to the Indianapolis 500, and they'll listen, you know, throughout the season. But that's the big one for them. You know, Memorial Day, we're thinking mm-hmm. about all of our fighting men and women, and 
to know that they have a, a stake in the game because one of their their sponsorship is actually a car driven <laughs> by a guy. It's, it's amazing to see how racing affects those in the armed forces and, and, and how huge it has become. But, but that is their connection to home. They're in, you know, on many of these soldiers that I spoke with uh, in, via this video link, you know, what they miss is green. They're, they're in the desert. I mean, they don't see a lot of what reminds them of home. And they say to listen to the Indy 500 on the radio network or to any race just gives them that feeling of, oh, my gosh, we're home. And, and it really kind of takes that distance and minimizes it for them. Track dude Michael Young is our guest. I know him as uh, Track Dude, and I follow you on Twitter. It's tra- at Track Dude Five Hundred at Track Dude Five Hundred for his tweets. Uh, Michael Young is our guest. He's a pit reporter for the um, Indy Racing League IMS Radio Network, and you were telling me uh, I heard a, an amazing story about your connection with Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon. Uh, well, you can give us the backstory on this—the tragic uh, crash that claimed his life. I think in Las Vegas was it last year? Yeah, it was last year. One of those odd situations, and the neat thing that now reliving the Indianapolis 500 this year, he was the winner in 2011, and he wasn't a full-time driver last year. And when he won the Indianapolis 500, it was on a one-off with Brian Herta Autosport, and a lot of people thought, well, they don't really have a chance, but Dan always knew that whatever he did, he could be successful at it. And when Brian heard to ask him to drive the car, Dan's first thing was that he asked Brian, we can win, can't we? So Brian was like, uh, well, yeah, you know, what else would an owner say? And they approached their whole month of May like that, that we can win this race. And we just talked about J.R. Hildebrand, who led the final stage of the race. And on the final turn of the final lap of the Indianapolis 500, he came upon a slower car. He got up into the, what they call gray, which is a looser portion of the track, slid up, hit the wall. So now he's in turn four, sliding down the front straightaway to the checkered flag, crashed, and still had his foot in the throttle. And as he started to slow, Dan Weldon, who came out of nowhere, was actually third place going into the last lap, passed him by to take the checkered flag to win the race. It was his second Indianapolis 500, but he still didn't have a ride. I saw him the next weekend in Milwaukee, and... And he was still searching for a ride, and he spent the entire season last year working on the new DW12 chassis, which Delara was developing at the time. So the IndyCar Series has a brand new chassis this year. So that was Dan's job, to develop this new chassis. Last race of the year was the World Championships in Las Vegas, and Randy Bernard said, well, let's put a $5 million purse up, and if you win the race... Well, you'll be able to split the money with somebody. And so they had a fan there, and, and the million dollars was up for grab. I said five, but it was a million dollars. And they went into the weekend, and it was just one of those odd things where nothing ever seemed right. I actually had lunch with Dan the uh, day before the race, and he was just in great spirits. And he really was so thankful to have this opportunity to race and to you know, be part of the Eyes on IndyCar series again, I saw him you know, not only having lunch with him, but I saw him that morning, and it just seemed like something special was going on. The night before, he had a tattoo of his wife Susie's initials put on his wrist, and she had his initials put on her wrist, and it was just a kind of a cool thing. I spent a lot of time with Dan that weekend, 
saw him that morning and I was getting ready to uh, do driver introductions for the for the Firestone Indy Lights race and he kind of in his Dan way kind of runs into you with that shoulder kind of dive in just to say hi and and I said how you doing driver he goes what's up bro and I said nothing he goes what are you doing he goes well win me a million dollars I said well that's awesome but just remember your old friend track dude when you win it because i'll just need ten thousand i don't need like hundred thousand whatever i just give me a little bit of money and i'll be happy and he goes i'll remember you mate and he went kind of in a dan fashion just proudly walking down the front straightaway of the speedway and went about his day he did a shakedown and as soon as the race started it was kind of a whirlwind for me it was doing driver introductions and had to get my fire suit on to do the radio network and then the accident had happened and immediately went out to the infield care center and as the thing started to unfold we found out that uh, uh, Dan had lost his life and it was just a really surreal moment because he had so much positive energy and, and, and so much just it was great to just see him around the track again and it was funny when he kind of did his shoulder bump into me and and I had said hi to him before he he went out to do that that final practice uh, I'd found out after everything was said and done that he had just signed to drive the GoDaddy car replacing Danny Kilpatrick for 2012 so he had come full circle won the Indy 500 did all this development with the new chassis and the new car to make this new chassis safer and then that morning signed with Andretti Autosport to drive that car that was being vacated by Danny Kilpatrick he knew that going into the day and about an hour and a half later lost his life and immediately after the news had spread Delara had named the chassis after him now called the DW12 but how ironic that a guy who was pretty much tossed out of the racing community not only won the Indianapolis 500 but developed this new chassis to improve the safety for everybody in racing which inevitably he lost his life doing in, in racing and it, it just was so ironic and so so amazing that that this guy did so very very much for for the eyes on IndyCar series to to, to lose him like that was uh, you can never replace a guy like him but it was almost like one of those stories where you, you start reading it and there's no other way that story could finish not to sound morbid but it's just it was yeah it's like that story could never change it, yeah. it's like it was almost destined to happen that way track dude michael young is our guest he's uh, one of the voices on the uh indycar radio network worldwide and uh can you tell me a little bit right now about the um i i think it's called the um indycar Men ministries is it the indy is, is this for the uh, some sort of educational system set up for the drivers to get involved with their communities the indycar ministries is that right yeah we have a couple of different things indycar ministries is basically uh, a foundation set up by bob hills and it's a way to get drivers families and people that are in basically a traveling circus an opportunity to be able to go to church and to celebrate their faiths on the weekends. We okay. also have uh, Father Glenn O'Connor, who uh, also does Catholic Mass during the weekends. So as people travel, the IndyCar Ministries allow people to actually celebrate their faith on race weekends when there's no church, you know, sometimes we're out in the middle of nowhere at some of these circuits. So it's an opportunity for, for people to celebrate their faiths. And they also contribute a lot of money throughout the year as they raise money to 
uh, various organizations. We have uh, other charities, Racing for Kids Children's Charities, that's developed to help uh, young kids through motorsports. We also have care charities uh, who promote uh, Buckle Up Car Seat Babies for, for Kids, uh, families that can't afford car seats. They'll, they'll do the Buckle Up uh, Baby campaign, and that's more developed and uh, promotes child safety and uh, child uh, awareness for, for, for kids and safety and, and vehicles and things of that nature. And, and uh, we have the Benevolent Fund. We have a lot of different charities, and it's all done through motorsports. So it's neat. Well, racing for Kids, uh, they also do things where the drivers will go up to hospitals and see really sick kids. So, you know, here comes Elio Castro Neves or J.R. Hildebrand last year after, you know, the Indianapolis 500 or uh, Tony Kanan, that these drivers, Ryan Hunter Ray is also big in that, James Hinchcliffe, they'll go to these hotels or hotels, uh, hospitals and see these kids that are really sick and, and really have uh, life threatening illnesses and try to make their time in the hospital a little more enjoyable and talk about racing and gives the kids a little little something to watch on Sundays or Saturdays whenever mm -hmm. we race that you know I got to meet that person and the, the guys do a really nice job. Now I've seen you uh, interview Richard Petty mm -hmm. on television and I imagine you, you, there's a whole lot of cele the celebrity list is long when you're talking about the, the big money behind big racing. Uh, what are some of your favorite I guess celebrities or notable people that you've run into uh, in and around a, a racetrack? There are all kinds of it's it's neat when you're when you're in that radio environment because when you're at these IndyCar Series events, there's all kinds of celebrities that come up. A big one that I'll I kind of I've, I've forgotten about it because it happened so quickly, but was very neat was. Um, it's Ray Hall Letterman, Lanigan Racing. So Bobby Ray Hall, of course, the 1986 winner of the 500. Letterman, a very familiar name. and I've heard of him. Yes. Letterman. <laughs> so David Letterman's there. And Michael Lanigan's the third owner of that team. But the morning of the 500, there's David Letterman standing there. Well, it's been a goal for years for anybody to get an interview with David Letterman because he just doesn't enjoy doing interviews unless he's really planned ahead for it. So it was a fun little moment and a quick story. We're on the grid, the starting grid for the Indy 500, and there's a guy from Brazil interviewing David Letterman. He's, he's got this Portuguese accent, and he's just asking David the same question. And David's cut, you can tell he's a bit annoyed by the guy, but it's funny because <laughs> he just keeps asking the same thing. So he started, you know, started laughing. And anyhow, so the guy, David goes, I think we're done here now, and just tells the guy he's done. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I said, this is probably the only opportunity you're going to get. So I just threw a microphone in his face and started talking about Graham Ray Hall, which obviously he drives for Chip Ganassi, but David remembered him as a little kid, you know, being with Bobby Ray Hall. So we did a good four or five minute interview just to interview David Letterman yeah. and, and watching him. And I was in college. I mean, the nighttime legend. I mean, he's Oh, that's amazing. Guy. Maybe the most famous interviewer of all time, David Letterman, you've got to interview him. Exactly. So that was, you know, really, really neat. And I've, I've had opportunities, uh, another great one at uh, the Baltimore Grand Prix. We're finishing up the event. And I also do other things behind the scenes with the award ceremonies and the podium celebration. And we're getting ready to hand out the trophies. And we've got uh, um, a couple of uh, Olympic stars, and uh, it was, I was like, oh, I don't really know who these are, because I, I hadn't seen the list yet. So they said, there's so-and-so, there's Michael, and the other presenter will be here in a second. I said, I looked at the guy, I said, okay, Michael, uh, do you know what you're doing? Have any, has anybody talked to you what's going on yet? And he goes, yeah, I think what's going on. I said, now when I say your name, come up, 
you know, hand the driver the trophy and then stay there for photo ops and, and that's it. And I said, I looked it down and I said, are you Michael Phelps? And he goes, yeah, I'm Michael Phelps. <laughs> I said, it's a pleasure to meet I had no, he had sunglasses on, so I really, I didn't recognize him. So I'm sitting here kind of one-on-one with Michael Phelps. I had no idea who he was. And, and you're riding him. You're like, like, do you, do you know what you're you supposed know, to do? Because I'm tired. I'm sweating because <laughs> I just got out of a fire suit. I'm like, nobody's helping me out. I said, do you know what's going on here? And he goes, yeah, I think I got it. And it's Michael Phelps. Well, if he was in a bikini, you would have recognized him. I probably would have recognized him. But it's little moments like that that's uh, that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you... And it's... it's, You do enough of these where I don't know if... You you don't get as starstruck as I used to get because you're you're constantly seeing these celebrities on this basis. But, uh, you know, what? the Toronto Grand Prix last year, Dan Aykroyd was the Grand Marshal. So to stand and have a conversation with Dan Aykroyd, and he was very... Dan Aykroyd-esque when he did the command, but yeah, it's fun. You're standing oh, next yeah. to Dan Aykroyd. I just, you know, Saturday Night Live and all the great movies, and to be able to be next to Dan Aykroyd, it's, well, yeah. Well, I get that starstruck sitting next to you, oh, Michael Young. Oh, well, that can't be true. Uh, so we encourage you to follow Michael Young on his uh, Twitter with at TrackDude500, and we wish you the best of luck with your announcing and uh, your radio network with the uh, racing, and... Um, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Yeah, we invite folks to tune in. Again, we're on Sirius uh, and XM Satellite Radio, and you can check us out anywhere. Uh, just go to your local affiliate, and whenever we're racing on the race weekend, would uh, uh, love you to have us uh, or check us out. And uh, if you ever get to a track, I'm sure you'll be able to holler at me. I'd be more than happy to say hello because it's always a lot of fun to meet the fans as well. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically we're in south carolina at newberry college we are proud to have brian riddick on our show now hi brian how are you i'm doing great how about yourself i am fantastic and i love having fellow uh, radio hosts on this show you have your own radio show on campus at newberry college tell us about your radio show absolutely it's a wonderful opportunity that is given to students at newberry college and we get a chance to actually run our own radio show for the semester Um, we have hour slots Go in there, you can do it with a co-host. Um, go in there, we can have interviews. Um, just getting people in, hearing us, you know, playing what we want to play. Gives us a real branch to experience what it's really like to be on the radio. Okay, now I'm actually bringing you on to the show to talk about a community service a philanthropy project. Um, you're actually involved with some great causes on campus. But before we get to that, I want to get back to your radio show. Is this a real signal or is this like an intercom through the dorms? This is a real FM signal. Real, real FM signal. Okay. We're ninety five point five. Okay, so, absolutely. And um, you mentioned you get to play your own music. You get to play your own playlist because that's in corporate radio. That doesn't happen, my friend. You get out in the real world, they'll tell you what to play. You get to play what you want, huh? Absolutely. They give us, a, of course, a set of rules: um, what we can play, what we can't play, kind of guidelines, um, just of you know what you kind of would need to follow in regular sense. So. Well, then, so your last show, what were some of the songs you played? Um, we actually did a love love thing. It was actually Valentine's Day this past Thursday. So we played love songs, um, everything from Love Shack to, um, I mean, just a lot of different songs all around. But And talked about love themes and what people were doing for Valentine's Day. We had a couple guests come in and tell us they were playing. So. Did you play the Plain White Tees? Um, no, that's a, that's a hate song. That's not a love song. That's, hate is a strong word, but I really, really, really don't like you. That's not a love song at all. <laughs> See, that's why my show wouldn't work at Newberry College. 
All right. Well, uh, what is the goal then uh, with your radio or communications degree and your radio experience now at Newberry College? What's the goal for you? What do you want to do with your life? Um, I actually like to get um, doing the radio shows or something on the side too, um, but I'd love to look and doing that further, but maybe more with like sports entertainment. Um, so getting involved with working with arenas, working with um, getting out there with NFL, NBA, um, all on the line. So. Excellent. Okay, well, we wish you the best of luck from a broadcast entertainment point of view. Now to your philanthropy, your uh, community service. You were telling me off mic about um, a breakfast that you're a part of that raises a lot of money for a good cause. What is this? Absolutely. We do it the um, it's uh, we do a annual breast cancer breakfast. Uh, we do it at homecoming each year. Um, we had a one of our brothers that his uh, mother fought with breast cancer, so um, luckily she's still around with us and survived, which is the main thing. Great to all the technology that they're getting out there to help with breast cancer. Um, but we do a breast cancer breakfast. Um, we get out there, we cook ourselves, um, do meals, alumni come, parents, friends, family, and come out early just to support a great cause and raise money. What's on the menu? My uh, stomach is grumbling. Absolutely. Pancakes, sausage, uh, eggs, bacon, anything you can imagine just for mm. breakfast. So we just get out there. We do it outside, griddles, right there in front of everybody too. So. Cool. Okay. And uh, how many years have you been doing this? How much money is raised for breast cancer awareness? Um, we raise uh, probably a few thousand um, each year. Um, but then we do, um, uh, we do, we sit there um, and we present a check at um, halftime. So we've done it for a couple of years. And like just one of those big jumbo checks everybody loves to see, but getting out there and present it. So we actually have had a representative come down before and present it to them also. And this is through your fraternity, the uh, KA chapter at Newberry College. Yes, sir. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Good luck with your radio career. Best of luck with the, uh, the eggs and bacon for charity. And um, we thank you for your community service. And not only are we impressed with the money raised, but we're also impressed to just hear stories of, of how people get involved because it inspires the rest of us to get involved in our communities, too. So thank you very much, Brian. It was great to meet you and have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.